0: Yo, yo What up? What up? Yo What up? What up? Hey Hey, welcome Welcome to Benny's crib What up? Ah, uh, yeah, just see your shoes over there, it's cool, yeah, thanks Sound cool? Yo, yo, what up? Welcome to Benny's crib just like that, we are in the beautiful abyss of audio, my friends. This is Benny's crib. It's a rainy night in Portland, so apologies in advance if you hear any rain droplets outside. But we're gonna make it work because we're here with a very talented artist. Um, and actually, kind of the first question I'm gonna have is Mozart two one two. How do I pronounce the numbers in your name? Is it two twelve or two one two? Um, it's two one two. Two one two. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I think people's natural inclination when they see it, right, is to say two twelve. Yeah. Um. Which is funny to me because uh, it's an area code. It's the area code of Manhattan uh, where I grew up.
0: No shit. All right.
1: And um, it's also a number you can't get anymore. There are no more 212 area codes.
0: Oh, um, it, that's interesting.
1: And we used to, you know, wherever you went, you would shout out your area code. I know it sounds corny, but like, you know, the rap songs in the 90s where they were like, 518, Yeah, 565, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 5212. Five, so that's why every time I hear somebody go to 12 where people say it, I'm always like, Oh. Right, that's
0: not a thing everywhere else. No. Right. That's home. Well I mean I, I shout out two oh seven a lot. I'm big on, you know, two oh seven, so I, I definitely resonate with that. Awesome. I kinda figured it might be an area code, so I'm glad that uh I'm glad we got that covered. So Mozart two one two is here. They are very talented, uh producer, DJ, beat maker, just you know, veteran out here in the hip hop and beat worlds in my opinion, um, of the main hip hop scene, the Portland um, beat scene and uh this is a show I'm very excited to have today. Mozart also just did an amazing um, Instagram live set. And you can go hit that, I believe, on your page, right? And we'll share a link for this, too, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, we're going to get into some of that and just the eclectic styles that you mix and the beautiful sounds you were blending. But before we get into that, I kind of want to start a little bit earlier. You mentioned Manhattan. I kind of wanted to get just some small origins of uh, artists on Benny's Crib. So my first question would be, what's your first memory of hip-hop?
1: Um... Oh, let's see. Um, so I was in, in New York City for, you know, most of my childhood back and forth between New York City and the Dominican Republic. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I spent my time between those two places. Um, and as I got older, you know, the time in the Dominican Republic got to be less and less. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, I would go for like a couple of weeks you know, as I got older, you know, and maybe then two weeks at a time. So I was coming back to New York a lot and spending a lot more time um, in in the city and in the Bronx um, and hanging out, you know, like on my block. And my first memory was um, just like watching well i guess not a singular memory but like watching the evolution every time that i would come back as a little kid like i'd I'd leave i'd come back and and you could see like hip-hop kind of like starting to grow Mm. you know what i mean styles starting to be everywhere like oh you saw that style you know in harlem and then like you pay attention to three four months later and you're seeing that style everywhere else You know, so that. And I didn't have a soundtrack to it yet. For me, it was more like breakdancing, graffiti. Mm. Those were like the big signifiers of hip-hop culture. Mm. So those were everywhere. Um, And it wasn't until a little bit later that the music came into play. And my first, like, actual memory, I I would say, is um, my dad was, my stepdad was... um, he, he played guitar you know he pulled around with his friends and they played and so he loved music and we had a really good record collection we had a pretty sizable record collection and a mm-hmm. pretty dope stereo and uh we lived on 188th street and on 181st street there was a bunch of flea markets and so the sidewalks were like you know sidewalk vendors and we mm-hmm. had like swap meets inside buildings and all that but there was like a lot of tape vendors guys who were like selling mixtapes from shows my first memory is uh, he brought home a tape that had Run DMC. It was like a live Run DMC show. Hell yeah! Um, on one side, and then on the other side, it was just like a bunch of like singles. You know, I think if I ruled the world it was on there, but right? um, I think oh, I was on there yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember but i just remember the tape it was a clear clear cassette mm-hmm. uh it was a clear cover and it had a blue like a little piece of blue um uh, index card inside of it
2: oh that's wicked uh, cool. with,
1: the, with, with, the, with the date and like the names of the stuff written on it yeah um and and so like once a week he would pick up a new tape for me so i had a bunch of tapes and the the arrangement was if he brought me tapes i would like work with him on his english lessons you know oh wow um, he was tr- he was trying to master english mm-hmm. um and and he would have me he had a little tape recorder and so we would trade tapes like if i if i could do a whole tapes worth of lessons with him he would trade and give me like a, a mixtape and uh so i would say he would say like Perro, and i would say dog 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 You'd <laughs> wow. say another word, um, and then when we filled up the whole tape, but sometimes it took forever because, like, you know, I'm a little kid. I don't want to sit there for like an hour, yeah, yeah. repeating words. You know what I mean? But that's that's like my first memory is is getting those tapes, and every week just being blown away by the tapes, and then. I remember that my my next door neighbor who was really into punk rock started to get into uh hip hop. And at the time like those two things were really um people were using them they were not using them but they were really linked. Mm-hmm.
0: You know in, in the culture like punk rock and hip hop had yeah. a real cool very connection. very linked yeah.
1: And Nelson uh came over with Crush Groove.
2: Oh, uh, it was an
1: orange record. And the vinyl was orange. <laughs> and uh <laughs> he was like scratching it on my mom's turntable and she was like losing her mind like don't do that you're gonna break the
0: needle you're gonna ruin it
1: you know yeah and I remember that I remember like begging him to leave the record in my house so that I could hear it Wow. Um, and I like listened to the hell out of that record Um, I remember getting uh, NWA the first NWA tape Mm -hmm. Um, that was dope Um, yeah
0: Wow, that's beautiful. So you're directly in the heart of the birthplace of hip hop. You know, when a lot of cutting edge stuff is occurring, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, um, there was an opportunity to see um, and hear a lot of new stuff. Um, through the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of stuff that was, you know, did you hear about Wu Tang? No, oh, what's Wu Tang? Oh, it's this group of dudes from from Staten Island, yo they shot out 160th though on, on, in washington heights though <laughs> you know and then you'd, you'd get the tape and you'd be like oh this shit is good this is dope this is dope and then like a couple months later it's on mtv you know what i mean yeah. or it's on bet wow or it's on video music box or, or the basement yep, yep um that happened there was a lot of stuff i mean i, I knew a kid who lived in queensbridge who brought tapes. <laughs> he bought Nod's tapes. He was like, this is my homie, Nazir, here, man. This is going to be dope. Wow. Remember that that was, that was really dope.
0: That's um, wild, man. Holy shit. That's history. The
1: first the first Jay Z tapes, all you know, he, he had a bunch of like dope freestyles. Yep. Those were really moving around the streets a lot. Um yeah, you would get like you would if you had a good like, if you had a good network of people who were giving mixtapes or were making mixtapes or live near, like, mixtape markets, you know, um, you were listening to a lot of, like, artists before they blew up.
0: That's special.
1: I think one of the, yeah, and I think one of the super cool things for me is how a lot of those guys uh, are still around, you know, that's, that's Mm. pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, that's wickedly impressive, uh, the longevity of a lot of artists who came from New York in that time period, you know, are, are huge players now. Well, um, what time period was this? Was this like the 80s and 90s when you were rocking down there? Yeah,
1: yeah. Hell I was year. born in
0: 1977. Bet, bet. So what? So, are you? <laughs> so, You're like 40, yeah. 43 years young? I think so. Hell yeah. 42, hell yeah. 43, one yeah. or the other. I try and say like, how young are you to people? It's like a weird phrase because yeah. it's not used or it's not like, you know, common in our English language. But everyone's like, how old are you? I'm like, I don't like the... I think words are important, and even like the small meanings they have. So I like to say, "How young are you?" So there we go. You were out here. You were out here in these streets as a youngin, like just you know whether it's Native Tongues Posse, whether it's DITC, whether it's Wu Tang Clan, whether it's Juice Crew. I mean, you were around that energy, and uh, that's that energy of around that time period in hip hop was so impactful to me getting into hip hop in my teenage years. And here you are, you know, as an actual teen you know, you're in halftime on a cassette tape before it's actually on MTV and that's just, well, I mean, that's yep. just, wow. Um, let's keep it in your youth just for a little, just a couple more questions. What um, were some of your hobbies as a young and Like, was it was it primarily music or were you, um, you know, just kind of like living in the city or just, you mentioned even going to the, the Dominican Republic. Um, You got any just kind of like big themes or uh, memories that really stick with you from your youth? It's a big question.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, no i was like i was a really big nerd
0: mm, um i love that
1: i had a pretty tight crew of friends and we were all like also nerds and there was like a couple of guys in in our crew who were far cooler than we were they mm. knew it and we knew it you know what <laughs> i mean and so <laughs> you know you know you know that you know you yeah. know that when you're little oh yeah um so i was a nerd i read a lot a lot a lot i read like all the time and i also listened to music like obsessively Mm. Uh, i had like tons and tons of tapes you know um and then like i said you know my mom and my stepdad had records my neighbors had records my grandmother had a enormous record collection i'd visit my uncle he had records so i was always listening to music or reading and and you know, I like school. School is all right. Like I kinda had figured out really early on how to like do well in school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sure that I was necessarily like earning all my grades. Mm-hmm. As much as I was like sort of playing the game correctly. I know, know what you mean.
0: Um to, to keep to keep moving up. Yeah. You know. Um but yeah, so I
1: my hobbies were reading. Um Listening to music. Um, you know, I played a lot of football, you know, like in the streets with my friends. Yep. Um, played a lot of stoop ball. Hell yeah. Uh, played, played a lot of basketball. Uh, but mostly it, it kept returning to music. And so I tried to be in a dan- uh, breakdancing crew. B boy. Um, that. Was this, there was this this kid, Amato, and he lived on 189th and uh, Wadsworth. And he had this huge lobby in this building. And so he was like, yo, I'm going to put together a dance crew and we can practice in this lobby. And so I went, like, I knew this dude, and I went, and I was like... And he put me down just because we knew each other. Mm-hmm. But within, like, the first day of, like, us... I remember, like, practicing a routine or, or like, you know, kind of trying out new moves. Within the first day... It was clear to everybody that i like i sucked
2: oh no (laughs) oh no
1: i think we did we did one block party i remember and uh and it was it was terrible i hated it i was miserable they were miserable and i was like you know it's cool we don't have to do this you know like i don't have to be a part of this yeah um but but then i started to um sort of realize that like i don't necessarily like love parties you know like i don't necessarily want to be at a party but i didn't want to like not be at a party because my friends were there interesting i know what you mean and i didn't want to dance and i didn't you know i didn't uh i didn't want to pick up girls you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so you know i I settled on well who's here who doesn't do mostly anything like with the party in the party and i was like the dj
0: he's like shit
1: he's creating the party yeah, you know, he and, is
0: the party in my opinion. Be,
1: yeah, he is the party and people want to be around him and he doesn't have to like talk to people. You know? And uh, so I just started hanging out with DJs like all the time. All the time. And uh, there was this dude, PT, who lived around the corner from me. A powerful technician. He was dope as hell. And he would let me um, uh, go to his house and, and use his tables to practice. Oh, wow. And, like And like back then, it was like, it, you know, it was special to know anybody who knew who had their own turntables like that was that was like unheard of. Mm-hmm. They were so expensive and mixers were so expensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, drug dealers and dudes who like got, you know, got a lot of boosted stuff. Yeah. Um, dudes who saved up money forever because they had like 20 jobs. That's what turntables. You know what I mean? And these dudes were always you know, older than you. Mm-hmm. And like, um, but. So I just, I just basically went, I knew a bunch of dudes who had turntables and I would just go to their house and harass them like all the time. You know, like, oh, when you're not going to be home, leave me the keys, leave, leave me the keys, leave me the keys. And like, I spent an hour in this dude's house and then an hour in that dude's house and then like half an hour in this guy's house and then like 20 minutes at this guy's house. You know? Um, and so that was, that, was, that was my third hobby, was doing that. Um, and then... You know, once I started to like get into DJing, and and I mean like appreciating the culture, you know, I wasn't touching records yet. Yep. And I wasn't playing out yet. Once I got into that, I started to make mixtapes like real heavy. Like I started to collect music at that point. for oh, myself, hell yeah. Like, use my money, you know, have records, have CDs. Um, so then that became another hobby.
0: That's awesome. So you were like uh, cutting up and actually like splicing like physical tapes together, it sounds like, because that'd be the era where you could do that
1: well i wasn't making pause tapes like i wasn't into like the guys who were doing that who were like pulling apart tapes and like kind of doing those blends and stuff i was really into like um just like selection like i was really into the idea of like curating tapes and i know that this sounds crazy to anybody from the 80s because they're like that's what a mixtape was like that's what you made for somebody it was a mood it was a thing it was a theme Mm. Um, but I wanted to do that like with hip hop and with like R and B and new Jack, you know, new Jack swing yep. and house music. Those, those are the things I was like, let's, let's make mixtapes out of those things. Got you. And not necessarily to like rock a party and not necessarily to be like sexy time. It was like, look, you know, I want to set up to make mixtapes that you could put on and chill too. Like, let's, I like let's that. see what that is. Yeah. A um, mix. So then I just started doing that, you know? Um, Yeah
0: i can even see that theme in your sets today i mean i've seen a couple of your sets live before everything was locked up and just even on that instagram live you do kind of have that theme of uh could be a little bit of hip-hop it could be r&b flip it could be maybe house or more dance but you know there seems to be um a theme of just kick it have some fun no pressure just yeah. enjoy and that's kind of like the vibe i get from your from your mixes
1: yeah
0: i like that yo um that's wicked cool though that um you were that invested because I can relate to you heavy. I mean, I um wasn't very my. I mean, from my side of things, I wasn't the coolest kid growing up. Uh, I definitely kind of had like a lot of. I mean, I still I said this in the last podcast too. I uh, used to have anxiety. I still have anxiety, but um back when I was a youngin, um definitely like I think I was more you know controlled by it in a way and uh, i found a lot of solace in the pages of books and the liner notes of albums and just kind of getting lost in artistic worlds. so it's cool that you could find um a niche in the social realm of your communities where you could thrive and that'd be the dj world you know like if you're behind that dj table no one's fucking with you and if they are everyone at the party is going to get on their ass to be like yo get out of their way they're spinning the music so i love that um you kind of progress into that um and then even hearing the fact that you got to maybe have you know older heads in your communities give you a chance to just could be for 30 minutes you know every couple of weeks to get behind a uh, turntable because like you said that technology at the time is you know not very cheap like a lot of people are having to hit a couple of licks before they could actually get their money up and get that kind of stuff and here you are you know just getting to do it out of uh, friendship so that, that's a pretty beautiful um thing in itself oh yeah i mean that went
1: on all the way through college mm. um By college, I was already doing shows, you know, I was already like playing at places, I was playing at house parties, I was coming down to New York and playing, I would find places that had like house tables, like the tables are already set up at this joint. Mm. So there was a place, Orchard Bar in the Lower East Side that I would come and do open tables, open decks, until finally, you know, they asked me to come and actually rock, you know, and do like a Friday night.
0: Um, this was in
1: the era of like lounges like New York lounges you know where there was like in the same district that there was like all these clubs there was also these like backroom lounges mm. you know like people could smoke blunts in there you could hang out you know dimly lit you know dope chill music you more chill. You know what yeah. I mean like
0: yeah more chill um, than the club for sure
1: yeah like like uh I guess now it would be like an equivalent of like a VIP room except not with douchebags and, <laughs> you know, no table service. Gotcha. These are, like, real dingy. <laughs> these are, like, real dingy, yeah. but it was that idea of, like, you can come to these spots, and, like, if you knew people, you can get in and you can chill. Um, but even then, I didn't. I still didn't have tables, you know what I mean? And so, like, I was still on that tip of, like, during college vacation, during breaks, like, planning my breaks around who I could go visit to keep practicing. <laughs>
0: yeah that's pretty sweet though like that shows you have extreme dedication to your to your craft
1: yeah
0: let me um i got two things on my mind definitely in the mozart 212 story right now um i want to think about kind of how you got from you know manhattan new york lower east side up into maine before i do that um just two things are in my brain first um what part of the country did you go to school? And you don't have to like say what, what college you went to, but like what what part of the country were you in? Mm-hmm. Um, I went
1: to high school. Uh, I went to school all the way through high school in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Yep. And then and then in tenth grade, I got into this uh, scholarship program, and I went to Amherst, Massachusetts.
2: Oh no I shit! Went to yep.
1: Amherst Regional High School. I went there uh, for three years, and I lived in a dorm. Wow! With eight other dudes from from New York, DC, Philly, Newark, and and um, and Chicago.
0: Wow! What was that? I mean, that must have been like a pretty different vibe from going from Manhattan to Amherst, Mass.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. <laughs> it was really, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. Um, like a huge culture shock, but also just like, um, just like really, I, I don't even know how to put my finger on it because we were, we were living in a house like a dorm with like a bunch of like city kids, mm. so there was still like that vibe when you got home yep. of like that, but then we'd go to school and school would be like really weird, and there was and there was kids from. The town who were like, you know, they've, they've worked their whole lives to <laughs> to get to high school and be cool. You know, like they've, <laughs> they've clawed their way up to the social scene. And, yep. You know, and now we show up and like we're cool just because we're from, from not there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So these guys hated us. They hated us. And we would like Damn. fight all the time. They would like jump us. and We would jump them. They would like ambush us. We would ambush them. You know, so for the first, you know, year and a half, it was, like, really brutal.
0: Yeah, that sounds heavy, Um, yo.
1: And, uh, but then, you know, like, even now, this is crazy, because, like, now we're all mad good friends. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still keep in touch with a bunch of those dudes who who grew up there and the dudes who lived with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the the house was, you know, it was was called the Better Chance, ABC, A A Better Chance. And, um, you know, you get there in 10th grade. When you leave in 12th grade, another ninth grader comes in Oh you know? wow! Yeah, so, yeah. and it just kind of rotates. Um, so that was, that was crazy. And then I went back to New York for college. I got kicked out of college. Mm. Um, and then I, I just stayed living in, in Washington Heights with a bunch of friends. Um, and then a homie of mine who was a, like a huge mentor, also DJ mentor, by the way, um, was like, yo, I'm going to the school, Hampshire college, and they have a scholarship. You should apply for it. Like I'll put in a good word. So I did. And I got into Hampshire college and I moved from Washington Heights to, uh, Amherst, Massachusetts again, by the way, cause <laughs> it's down the street. Wow. Um, but it was also like, it's, it's, also like, to me, that's, it's one of the, you know, the best schools in the country. Mm. Um, it's in, it's in a lot of financial trouble right now, but the model is basically, there are no grades. Um, you know there are no like freshman sophomore junior or senior year you yeah. know everything is about the number, the time you spend there
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know you had multiple advisors in different fields and as you got closer to what you wanted to do you know you, you those, those advisors you know became less and less because you're narrowing down the fields you need to learn from
2: mm-hmm.
1: but then you're also working with like super heavyweight people in those fields um, and it was dope it was really really dope Um, So that's my school thing. I I went back after that, went back to New York, started um, working at Columbia University. Oh, wow. Was going to start a PhD program there. But then September 11th happened and it was just like, no, I don't want to stay in New York. So that's ultimately, long story short, how I ended up in
0: Maine. Wow. That's a lot of twist and turn. Holy shit. Um, Very interesting, too, that you went back to Amherst for that collegiate program um, after being already up there for almost like your high school program too it's funny how life has those cycles it seems like with us in some ways
1: yeah right and I, and I remember I was so like such an emo fuck in high school that <laughs> I barely knew Hampshire College was down the street from, yeah. from my high school you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I had no
2: real sort of sense of what that even meant. Yeah. You
1: know? So, it was like a whole different experience when I went there for college. Damn. You know? Because I didn't feel like I was going to college in my hometown. I didn't feel like I was going to college down the street from my high school. It felt very, very different. Yeah. You know?
0: Wow. Well, that is really interesting. Well, thank you for kind of bridging that gap. We're definitely going to touch upon, you know, more... Um, like when you right got to Maine, but there's just one other thing I wanted to touch about that you've been talking about, and um, that was the Dominican Republic. Do you have any um maybe like impactful stories, or because you said you went there a lot as a youth, and maybe just anything that comes to mind when you think about your times there as a youngin?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I I love the Dominican Republic. I haven't been there in a really long time. Um. I was going there a lot when I was younger, visiting my my mother's family, my grandmother's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always remember whenever we went, it was really cool because um, we were in awe of, you know, the way that our cousins lived and our cousins were in awe of the way we lived, mm. you know? Yes. Um, so we didn't, you know, it's New York. You don't have a lot of open space. You don't have a lot of, like, parks and stuff like that so we'd get there and we you know these guys would be like yo let's go on a horseback ride and you'd be like miles and miles and miles of like horseback riding um beautiful you know just just you know just roaming around and swimming and you know picking fruit off trees and stuff like that was dope that's always like what i remember the most and that's then, beautiful. um and my grandmother moved when i was a teenager she moved to uh, one of the cities and so we would visit her there you know and she had a really nice like apartment complex that she it's like four apartments in it i think and you know she rented all of them and she lived in one of them and that was super fun to go visit because it was like being in a different city except that the city was stuck in 1985 <laughs> no matter no matter no matter when you went it was always 1985. Um. So that that's a memory I have very distinctively. Is like, you know, people in thriller jackets,
0: <laughs> in, the red zippers.
1: Yes, yeah, in like two thousand. You know, what I mean, like, a
0: little late. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can rock it, uh, whatever, but I mean, still, it's not cutting edge anymore.
1: No, but it was right. Like it was not, and then you get there, and you're like, holy smokes.
0: That that's a good point. Yeah, like it was memo? to them. It was. <laughs>
1: yeah, but we're like, yo thriller jackets i mean there's so many other
0: that's so funny oh man i like that though i just like hearing about um kind of you know where people come from in a way i think that's something that's we've, maybe not you know us as artists forget about because i think you know a lot of artists can be always kind of in the past present and future but if you're kind of just you know someone who's out in society and you kind of just look at art as a almost like something tangible that is a service to you and not something that's an expression of people um you can kind of forget how just how many different twists and turns there are in the lives of artists and how many memories really are in all of our heads so i think it's a beautiful thing just to hear about origins and kind of early parts of your story because um, then some heavy shit happened i mean 9 11 happened and that made you want to go to maine was it just too much shit was popping off in new york at that time or did you have connects in maine or talk on that if you can
1: Um, I think if you were in New York City in particular, if you were in Manhattan near the World Trade Center it wasn't like that day that was the worst part. The worst part was that we were um, stuck on Manhattan and and a lot of people don't know this but they shut Manhattan off there was no way in and there was no way out so for a bunch of days after September 11th the only people that were allowed in and out of Manhattan were like, you know, our, uh, the army, you know, uh, the, the, the full armed forces. Or
2: whatever. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we,
1: we, you know, we, we lived near the George Washington bridge. Um, and it was me and my girlfriend at the time. And we lived at, at, near the George Washington bridge and they shut down the George Washington bridge and we lived on the New Jersey side. And, and that's the side that most people associate with the George Washington bridge. That's the bridge that's over the water. Yeah. You know, and uh so that the whole thing was lined with tanks they had put a bunch of tanks on it
2: holy shit um
1: and they uh you know they basically shut it off and then the world was just surreal it was like extremely bizarre on september 12th because it's new york and so you know nobody has a bunch of shit in their apartment you got to go out and get stuff all the time so leaving your house was just like this extremely surreal experience. Like where we're all shell-shocked, we're all super nice to each other, but we're all super cautious. And the radio, the cell phones, the TV, all that shit wasn't working well. So we would come in and out, couldn't talk to anybody on the phone reliably. So you really felt oh, wow. like this is the end of the world. Yeah. Um and and you also like you knew like you knew something, cha- I knew, and I think most New Yorkers that I talked to you talk about this, but like you knew something changed. Hmm. You knew that like th- the world was not the same anymore. Yeah. Like all sorts of shit just stopped and changed forever. And this is going to be a whole different thing. Like the world is different now. And so you don't know if this was the first of, of, of many attacks. You had no sense of like if it's over. You didn't know if people you knew were dead. Um, and I was working at Columbia University at the at, at the Community Research uh, Center, and um, we, you know, we sprung into action. That's you know, we we did interviews um, in, our, in, in in the neighborhoods. We collected data. You know, I I was just working on a book with my um, with my boss and a couple of other people about school shootings. And uh, we were we were looking at why school shootings don't.
0: That's pretty in early inner too. Cities. I mean, that's like right after Columbine in the in the kind of same yeah. time period, right?
1: It was exa- it was right after Columbine, and we had this question that we were trying to answer, which is if there is more street violence and interpersonal violence in inner cities, why aren't there more school shootings?
0: Interesting. And why do most school shootings? When we went back and looked. The
1: majority of them occurred. I mean, the majority meaning like. Almost all of them. You know, I think, I think, if I remember this correctly, we may have found one school shooting that was similar to the school rampages that we know now. And um, so we were working on that. And I was busy interviewing this kid who was the only, you know, he had shot a teacher in the hallway in in Brooklyn a couple years back when he was in prison. And so I was doing a series of interviews with him um, oh, that's heavy. But we switched everything. We dropped our book. We dropped our research. We dropped everything, and we formed a, a committee. You know, to to sort of think like, how are we going to give back? Like as a university, you know, what can we do for Manhattan? What can we do for New York? Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we we did a bunch. of, You know, we lent we lent our efforts to a bunch of projects across the city. And I remember, like, every day, I'd go to these meetings, and and you know, we're planning. Walks and drives and food banks and blood drives and all that stuff. But it, but then coming home at night and just being like freaked the hell out. Um, not really getting over the idea that like you know the world is ending. And so October came, November came, and I finally was like, I I don't want to live here anymore. Like if the world is gonna end and I'm gonna die, I don't want to die a in school because I'm always in school. Yeah in new york city where like i'm not even free to do stuff because this air the air the weight of of this terrorist attack is still here yeah like i want to go do stuff like if the world can end at any particular time i just i want to go do stuff and my girlfriend at the time was like she lived here in maine um and she had an opportunity to like take over this business and, uh, and we were like, yeah, let's do it. So we came to Portland and we opened the restaurant in Monument Square.
0: No shit. Um, Holy moly. I <laughs> didn't know that. What was the restaurant yeah. called?
1: Yeah, it was called Bonomo's B O N O M mm-hmm. O. Um, and it was in, uh, in the, the ground floor in Monument Square. I forget what's there now. Um, it's, it's across from Longfellow books. Okay. Um, yeah. So we did that for like a couple of years. Um,
0: that's wild, yo, damn So, yeah. you're kind of like in You know, one of the Not not kind of, you are living in One of the biggest congregations Of human population in the world And then on top of that already You know, you're going to be dealing with Like you said, one of the most Life-changing, you know Culture-altering yeah. events of the modern era And, you know, the shit that happened on 9-11 affected everyone, you know, worldwide in some way, whether that's, you know, the trauma of of the people or the uh, effects of the Patriot Act throughout the global, um, you know, imperialist agendas of America. That's not what we're getting into today. Just the heavy shit that happened on 9-11 affected the world forever afterwards. Is my point. And you're in the middle of that. Like, you're literally living in Manhattan. Like, that's where shit happened, yo. Like, there was, I, I think people, I don't know if this makes sense, but, like, in my brain, at least, I almost forget about how wild 9/11 is because, you know, I'm, I'm right. six years old. You see shit on the TV, you're like, that looks fucked. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. That looks bad. Like this isn't <laughs> this isn't good. What's going on? In, in in my safe, good old God-loving country that like you get indoctrinated into when you're in public schools and stuff. But as an adult, I'm like. I love going out in Portland and I love hitting the block and getting, you know, some yardy thing, maybe swinging through. I mean, this is all pre-COVID for the most part, but going, you know, getting some food, getting a couple of records maybe at Bull Moose, rest in peace. And um, then going somewhere else, you know, and just living off the city. Like, I just love being out there. I can't imagine being out there as a city person in Manhattan and then literally one of the biggest structures in your entire city is just crumbling and just drops. Like, that. that is mind-blowing to me. Like, still, like, it's just such an unprecedented thing that we've seen so I mean I can definitely imagine that's heavy on not only your subconscious but everyone in the area and then you're pretty much like oh no, yo I need, I need to change the pace because shit is heavy here right now yeah. damn yo
1: I just I just, I do want to I mean I think yes to everything you said the one piece that I would say like was what I started to think about a lot was that this wasn't unprecedented we do that shit all the time. Good
0: point, like, yo. If you live like, in another
1: part of the world, there's a building that you see every day that might not be there tomorrow because some fucking people like come by and blow it up. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons and tons of places in the world where that's just a reality. So true. And and at that point, that's when I knew I was like, oh, this is now our reality. Exactly. So now on, we are the same as Spain. We are the same as London. We are the same. You know, as as these countries that see themselves as civilized but have a ton of terrorism Mm -hmm. you know what i mean have have people blowing stuff up and and, you know going into marketplaces and killing everybody and themselves and you know it's it's i think that initially you're like holy you know what the hell just happened but then you know it sort of sinks in and you realize like oh i know what happened it's what happens everywhere else and if it happened once you know it'll keep happening um so it was that, it was like knowing that, that like we're going to, that's what's going to happen and I need to be thinking about this differently.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a, it's a very good point. That was kind of like, you know, the moment that everyone realized, oh shit, you know, like America just isn't, you know, what is it told to us when we're younger. Like America's, you know, a part of the world and fucked up stuff happens in the world, yo. And that 9-11 showcases that tenfold. That's a, that's a very good point. I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, let's kind of, uh, Let's get off some heavy terrorist shit, and then yeah, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get, yeah. let's get into the peaceful Maine coastline, um, if we oh, can yes. here. Um, I love it here. I, I love it. That. Yeah. What were your initial reactions to coming to Maine right away? Had you been here before ever? Was this your first time?
1: Yeah, I had come. I um, when I was in college, the, the the girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time, um, she lived here, and Hampshire College. For some reason, the year that I got there had accepted a bunch of dudes from Maine, like, a bunch of people from Maine. No way. So we were coming up to Maine all the time, like... Oh, that's cool. Coming up to visit people's, like, houses, coming up to, like, go camping. Um, and it's, you know, it's close to three hours away, but we would, like, constantly shoot away and come up here. Mm. Um, I was on the basketball team and uh, at Hampshire College, and uh, which, by the way, is... <laughs> that's not even a thing like anybody was like yo god damn I'm Duke of Ball I
0: could
1: play a little basketball but like being on the basketball team was like being on a sanctioned weed smoking team that traveled to other schools to smoke weed
0: that's pretty cool I I like that that's what we did sounds like my kind of team the
1: basketball team but this the reason I bring it up is so nuts um, half of the guys on the basketball team were from Maine. I mean, from Maine. No and way. One of them was from Wayne, Wayne, Maine, by the way, which is why. I did. So Wayne, Maine, and uh, where else? Ell- Ellsworth. a Dude from from. Oh oh Parsonsfield. There was a dude from Parsonsfield. Those are pretty
0: far places. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. There was a kid from Cumberland. So we would Closer. like all the time come up. And so I was DJing in Boston, and um, New York City still right got like the time in college yeah um and so i was trying to be like yo if i keep going up to portland i should i should try to like dj up there yeah um so i started coming
2: up and throwing house parties oh um, and we started to do like little speakeasy type parties on the west end
1: we knew this dude who was like on had this badass like house I don't remember where in the West End. But yeah. So we were coming and doing parties there, and so yes, yeah, so I was spending a lot of time here. and When we moved to New York City, we did both think that we were going to like live there forever. And um, like I said, you know, I was going to start at Columbia, and she just started working on the Food Network.
0: Uh, oh, you're balling. you balling. You got good jobs. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, for real. Be for real. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> we, were, we really thought this shit was, the, you know, this was it. Wow. Um, so again, like, you know, just saying, like, yo, let's move. So we moved uh, because um, she was like, yeah, you're right. If the world's going to end. We should go someplace that's not an enormous target. But we also didn't want to go far. I didn't want to stop DJing. Um, and I didn't want to, like, lose the <clears throat> networks and connections I had made. Yeah. So I was like, let's go to Portland. Let's do this this opportunity that you have for this restaurant. Um, and we will, you know, we'll take it from there. And it was dope. It was the best decision I ever made. Um, I love Maine. I, I lived here for four years. And then I moved, met my wife, and moved back. You know what I mean? So, you, you know, I love it here.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Um... Let's talk about that era of, actually, before I do that, I want to say, too, um, you talking about, you know, you having a good job at a, you know, pretty prestigious um, college. And then your girlfriend's working for Food Network, you know, you're young, you're in some art scenes, you know, you're kind of in like the cutting edge circles of life in a way, you know, when you're young. And then you have your whole idea of what your future is going to be. And then something, you know, catastrophic happens and changes that. That made me, in, in a very small way, think about um, this year with COVID. Because I felt like I was, you know, rolling into 2020 with some really amazing... Um, oh, yeah. um, what's the word here? Momentum, Momentum. in a way. Yeah. Momentum, right? Yeah. And, right, yeah. And then yeah. just the fucking... T- carpet got flung out from under me but then i'm like Shh. ben imagine if you were in rose shoes during this like shit's gonna hopefully open back up again yo like whatever like gotta stay positive guys have some light in the tunnel i can't imagine what i'd be feeling though if literally my city was just pretty much on fire and shit was collapsing like that's a whole different story so that's kind of like made me feel a little better about today like shit could be worse bro don't you know don't think about it too much but just be thankful that uh you know, you're not in a situation like that. But anyway, back to, to you coming to Maine, um, I want to talk about those house parties. I interviewed somebody um, who was pretty big on the Portland um, beat scene and just, you know, hip-hop kind of dance scenes early in the 2000s as well. And that was someone named Bright Boy. I don't know if you um, Oh, yeah, that's it, my
2: dude. Yeah. Okay. I, this, my dude.
0: I love that. Were you all in the same kind I'm of parties? Because he mentioned house parties. And I know it's a kind of a small city, so we're, um, are those probably the no. same house parties or are those different ones?
1: No, you know it's funny like i knew of those i knew of that scene and of that crew of of people those artists yeah i was in a much more like because we were in a restaurant you know because we we were you know owning this restaurant we were in a whole different scene yeah um and it wasn't as like I don't know how to describe it, but, like, those dudes, I always thought those dudes were having more fun. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, like, because we were throwing parties in, like, really dope houses, you know, with, like, you you know, like, tons of people coming, and they were, you know, dressed up all fancy and shit. Um, It wasn't, like, down home kind of... I'm, I'm struggling to, like, sort of...
0: There's, like, a grittiness to, like, 2000s, late 90s Portland. Definitely. You know, Definitely. You know heading into the
1: 2010s. That, that's not, I want to be clear, that's not what I was, like, doing at the time. Okay, yeah, I feel when you. When I was coming up doing that. But when we moved, I because we owned a restaurant, you know, we, we started off in that scene. And I knew of this other scene. And I knew of, like, other people doing really cool stuff that was far more, like new york-ish that makes sense and that's who i wanted to hang out with and that's what i wanted to be a part of yeah i get that so so i started to do less of these like sort of social events and more of like getting together with like the established djs in town you know and again i started all over again you know i'm playing in boston i'm playing in new york you know i do occasional shows you know um midwest and that down south and stuff Hmm. you know so Hmm. You know, I, I play music, right? Like, people know who I am. Yeah. I get here, and I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean shit. These guys have worked. They've established their thing. I got I to gotta work my way into this thing. I can't show up and be like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm the dude from New York City. I play in Boston on Saturdays. Yeah. You know, put me down. I didn't want to do that. I couldn't do that. Any DJ who's fucking legit, who's worth anything, will never do that.
0: Respect. You know what I mean? like Respect. You're, you're,
1: you know, you're not owed anything. You you always show up and you like work your way into whatever the scene is because mm-hmm. you, you 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 know you're respecting it and you're building onto it. You know I love I mean? that. Like the, I, so so I started to go to nights. I started to hang out with dudes. I started to you know I had gear now. <laughs> so there you go. You know, I started inviting people over to the house to like listen to records and I got I got tight. With this this guy Jason Wilkinson, um, who's half of Atomic. I don't know if you ever heard of Atomic, but they Atomic. were like
0: that sounds familiar, yeah.
1: Kind of electronic um, DJ group that you know, like at the State Theater when they were doing like Daft Punk and like that kind of stuff. Atomic always opened. You know these Got guys
0: you. are just bananas. Got you.
1: Um, you know, and, and I would bring them down to Boston all the time when I was living in Boston, and still hadn't moved up here. Um, the second time I was bringing them down. So, um, yeah, so when I moved, I was really like, you know, I'm going to find out who people are. I want to know who Brzezowski is. I want to get to know Moshe. I want to find out, hang out with Nicotine. I want to, like, you know, go see what, you know, this,
0: like, uh, Daryloid is about. 32 you know what French. I mean? Like, yeah, Im-
1: immediately, you know, became friends with Julian. Immediately, you know, started to, like, vibe with him. Um, so, you know, I, 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 and then the other thing was that when I showed up, the other piece is like, you know, those things that we're doing in like Munjoy Hill Apartments and these like impromptu DIY, you know, parties. Like, yep. We can do those inside of restaurants. Like having worked in a restaurant for so long, having seen the back end of it, I, I knew like all of these like logistics that would make it like why you, you could have a DJ set up at the end of the bar. Yeah, you yeah. could make it really dope and and awesome, you know? And there were places that were doing it, like Una, you know, was doing it. This place, Una, that was, I don't know, Freeze, Temple, Spring, like, you know, somewhere down there in the Civic Center. And they had DJs that night, every night, on the bar, you know, and it was like a sexy little Coke lounge. But I was like, no, we don't, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be, like, in the middle of the day, it could be, like, starting at, like, seven that you can you know go someplace and start listening and doing stuff and at the same time the jaw gems were were, were coming up yeah um, there's a bunch of bands that were popping you know and doing shit and um this dude uh spencer alby yep i don't know if you know spencer i, I definitely spencer, know spencer you know was was you know starting to manage you know a couple of spots and so you know he had dope ideas the jaw gems had dope ideas you know what i mean like there was random, like people were like yo music could be fucking everywhere in portland and that started like this era of like just you know i had this night at sunny's i played on uh friday nights at sunny's and i did that for like four years
0: that was on exchange street year. right
1: it was on exchange street it's where black cow is now yep and you can ask anybody, son. Like we had lines out the door every. I've
0: Sunday heard amazing Friday things night. about Sonys, yo. Know, like like every back Friday in the day. day.
1: You know what I mean? Like we had jaw gems earlier in the week, packed, packed, packed. Oh, I can't even and imagine. Then we that, had. Actually. I was at the bar. I set up a little DJ booth at the end of the
0: bar. Oh and man! That was, it
1: was bananas, man. We had it set up right. Like you know, I've always been a stickler for sound. I've always been a stickler for like what it looks like, it sounds like. That's room. important.
0: That's very important. When
1: there's a DJ. You know, I I hate the idea of, like, you coming in and there's these speakers in your face or speaker stands in odd corners of the room. So we worked (laughs) to, like, figure out a way to make it sound good on the house speakers. And they, you know, they let me work with them to, like, get this plan going. So the sound was warm. It was really nice. It was really loud. But these fucking speakers were dope. They were positioned in the the ceiling, you know, sort of towards the top of the ceiling. Yep, yep. Um, so they were really like everything was dope the sound was optimal the seating was great so for a couple years man we had this really dope and then and and at this time there was all of these musicians who were going around and like vibing and and jamming with each other and they would come out all the time so you know half of the crowd is people who appreciate just chilling and hanging out yep and the other half is musicians Who you know? Who are just like vibing with each other, jamming, and sitting in on sessions and that kind of stuff. It was it was it was pretty dope. It was pretty special.
0: That stuff, you know that Um, that's that's beyond beautiful to me. Like that's the kind of energy that kind of brings a tear to me tear to my eye because that's what I aspire in life just to have is a place where people are all there for a unified message, and that's pretty much just to exist and be at peace and enjoy each other's company amongst good food, beverage, and even more importantly, in my opinion, good music. And um, yeah, that's yeah. that's my entire life, and that's why I moved to Portland. And, you know, hearing you be, you know, one of many names that in the mid-2000s into maybe the 2010s um, helped kind of create that vibe in a, in a lot of uh, important cultural institutions of Portland. I, just, I love hearing that because um, we have to appreciate what has occurred in the past to allow what is happening in the present and i think that uh, at least in my opinion and i think that portland really is such a beautiful grassroots music community And then, when you add the fucking food scene and like the hospitality of it all, it's just like you never want to leave. Like, I never want to leave. Like, I could literally, if there was 20, that's the one thing I wish about Portland. I wish it was open kind of 24-7, like New York, or maybe it closed down some like, you know, five to six or something. But I would love to just be like, all right, we're going to go to Exchange Street until two. Let's go down and hit this spot, you know, maybe up on, you know, Middle Congress until four. Then we can creep over to the West End, find some kind of like speakeasy vibe, and then, you know, at five, smoke some fucking. jays as the sun comes up allegedly and then get some breakfast at oh no cafe take a couple of hours sleep and then wake up and do it again like that's honestly like what gives me so much life and i just love hearing early formations of that um and salute to you for being a huge part of that you know, like i love that you used your hospitality background to bring music kind of to um or at least help bring music to like you know really sounds like popping occasions and popping places, so just, uh, I like to give people their flowers where they can smell them, so there's a little bouquet for you, my friend. Yeah. Um,
1: Word. I mean, you know, we, you know, I have an organizing background, always been really sort of active mm-hmm. behind the scenes of organizing shit, and researching is really a big part of, of my sort of approach to things. Um, music, right? Clubs, playing in clubs, playing in bars, like, lounges. You know, I'm always, yeah, man, and I'm thinking, like, thinking like okay so what 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 makes sense in this space it became something that once I got to know a bunch of owners once I started to like really hang out with like you know people who owned bars people who you know owned restaurants you know head chefs I started to you know get back into that world again and it happened through music it happened because they see me at a show and we talk about their restaurant and they would say like you know what do you think about like this space and like, you know and I would you know have conversations about like this space sounds like this, you know, mm. this i feel like if if you know you were able to you know um kind of think about this vibe in this way you know it'll, it'll warm up the the just the, the the overall ambiance in here
2: so true so i was able to
1: have a lot of great combination uh, conversations about that um and even up right up until COVID happened and I was doing a lot of work with restaurants in town now around music, you know, creating custom playlists for restaurants. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Honey Paw. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but these, do you know that wall of records that they have?
0: Um, I'm drawing a blank with the interior layout. So, but So
1: they have two turntables that are built into the wall. Yep. And then they have a stack of, there's like a bunch of shelves of
0: records in there. Okay, okay. Um, so, you know, and so I started
1: curating that collection. I'd oh, that's come so cool. in, I'd tune the turntables, you know, every other week. I'd clean all that area off, you know, uh, check check the connections, do all that shit. And then I'd pull out records that were like in heavy rotation and put in new ones. You know what I mean? Um, and and kind of keep that thing going. And I worked with them to do that. So that the sound was what they, they felt like their restaurant was and it was what I was hearing and seeing when I was in there. But I started to do that in other places. Um, you know, and, and sort of really music has been like the the huge music and food. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the restaurant scene blowing up. I think once the restaurant scene blew up, people started to take way more risks in their spaces. Yep. Um, in in music, in all that stuff. All of a sudden it was like legitimizing it. We just like you know, I was telling my wife the other day, like, yes, this sucks. This is really, really awful. But so true. We, we might never go back to where it was and where it was was so special for such a period like so, this little window mm-hmm. of incredible art and incredible music and incredible community. You know what I mean? Like think about like the jams at the zoo.
0: Oh my right? God. Like, you know, oh come on, God. man. Like that come shit, on. that may not happen again but how dope is it that that happened? We were there, that yo. It like, we, we were there. Motherfuckers, musicians
1: would show up People in bands would show up and sit in a little rusty-ass garage to, like, play music <laughs> for, like, another hundred people just standing around, drinking beer, chilling, and eating barbecue. Oh, right? man. Like, the patio behind Bunker, the, the you know, the, the, the food truck scene on Munjoy Hill, oh like all God. that stuff. Like,
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know, uh, Suntiki. Um, yeah. Flask Lounge. Know I mean? The amphodian Flask. You know what I mean? Like that—that that may not happen, but but then we have to be really, really uh, cognizant of just how incredibly special and unique and and blessed we are that we did that. We were there. Like it happened.
0: And yeah. I mean, I, is, I it, you know, I can't put any better. Like you, you, you said it the best, yo. It really was. You know, and and I think the energy is still out there. It's just the economic bullshit and the, you know all the perils of the capitalistic business world we get to adjust to, you know, might take some of that away. But the energy to me, I can still feel it. Every, I'm like, you know, a nice sunny day if I'm looking outside, I can still hear, like, people coughing in that little rusty garage at the zoo because I passed them a joint when they weren't looking. And I can still, you know, like, smell, like, the nasty sweat of Flask Lounge because people are going so ape shit. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, it's still out there to me, man. Yeah, it's but so it's a, It's so good. <laughs> I love it. Um... Yep, well, up. I want—I got two quick questions, and I want to talk about you as a producer okay. because you're established. Most two one two is established. I mean, you won the two thousand seventeen, I believe, best hip hop DJ in Portland. Is that correct, my friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we—we yeah. we all know, like, at least if you you should know, if you don't, you know, by now that you're one of the more elite DJs, one of the elite spinners out here, in my opinion. So um, I just love that you've always been an advocate for the community. Um, and. Uh, I remember, like, when I interviewed 32 French, he said, yeah, someone who, like, I remember seeing a lot heavy out here, and it was a huge face of it, well, he said two names, he said goddamn Chan, and then he said you as well, were, like, we're very, very important, and I'm just like, I, I love to hear that. I love when people not only appreciate the genre and the culture beyond the genre, but just the community aspect of it, whether you're in Manhattan hearing Golden Age tapes when they're coming out, or you're in Portland, Maine in the mid-20 to, or mid-2000s, you know, putting some of that same energy into your community in a completely different area. I just have immense respect for that. Um, So my two quick questions to kind of, before I segue into the producing stuff, is uh, what cuisine did you um, have at your restaurant?
1: (laughs) That's such a good question. Holy shit. Um, So we were, I'd like to say, as humbly as possible, that we were way ahead of our time. We had fancy-ass $15 sandwiches.
0: Talk on it. You know what I mean? Like, we had house-brined turkey with house-smoked, hand-carved
1: bacon. You know, like, we had, like, you know, uh, meat from scratch, you know, soups and stuff like that. Like, But you know what? We were in Monument Square. Like I said, it was...
0: oh you're out that you said 2008
1: no no sorry I'm just putting the dog downstairs so that
0: oh yeah no worries no worries
1: okay um yeah we had the uh sorry
0: all love don't worry about it you gotta take care of your pets yo yeah I understand we're and animals that, ourselves yeah so. we had
1: we had we had we had really expensive handmade really artisanal really made with love um uh, sandwiches and it was open from breakfast till um, lunch and then at night we did private catering smart um, and we had two chefs who really were instrumental um, in in the restaurant uh, who also taught me a lot about cooking and about the restaurant world mm. uh, one of them was will who is the head chef at terlingua
0: and oh no the other way one
1: was it was yeah, and Jason, uh, I, m- I mentioned him, Jason Keyes, the DJ from Atomic, but his real name is Jason Wilkerson, and he's the chef to cuisine at Street and Company. Wow! Um, so, if you, as you know, like both of these are world famous restaurants. Um, so they were there. They were. They were. They were the chefs at this restaurant. Wait, does
0: Jason um, have a mustache? The Street and Co dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He's I, think like a big, I know that guy. Ed- Ned Flanders was yeah he's the man you he's know, a like, wicked nice gentleman yeah I knew him through like a, like a he, business he's, connection he's,
1: wow yeah he's an incredible chef but he's also he's like, a DJ you know he's yeah he's a huge well he was a big 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 DJ um, wow for a while um, yeah he he grew up in the Keys in Florida and Maryland and just up and down the, the east you know that part of the east coast and um, and he was a breaks DJ and he would
2: throw these huge,
1: huge parties and like do these cruises and all this shit. Damn. Yeah, he was. I learned a lot from him in terms of DJ. But again, they were at the restaurant. We became friends. They did a lot for our restaurant. But but in the end, you know, like it. Basically, what happened was just, you know, my partner and I. Um, we just both decided like
0: um, we don't want to do this. Like, it's not yeah, no, you, I feel you. Like, we both really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I
1: just I hate to say like how naive we were. You know, but we were you know we really wanted. Um, we were more. It wasn't our speed. Like we didn't like it. We didn't like the vibe. We didn't like the the way that the restaurant world was and all that stuff. And props to all my people in the restaurant world. It just wasn't like our speed. I feel you. Uh, but like I said, I got to know a lot of really dope people through that, and it also helped me really appreciate food more, restaurants more managers floor staff waiters bartenders it just gave me this immense and i had worked in restaurants before um doing stuff here and there but uh, but after that you know i did a little bit of line cooking i did a little bit of like you know waiting that kind of stuff in periods
2: after yeah. that wow but,
1: um yeah so we 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 had i mean we had this turkey sandwich that was the fucking bomb like it was so good and Jason would like uh brine this thing for three days and
0: then oh roast my it God. for twenty
1: four hours oh my and, like, God. you know, it's just like a labor of love and I remember that we would like stress during like meetings about like how in the world can we bring the price of the sandwich down? You know, and we at one point we decided that we would bake all of our own stuff. And so we hired a baker to share space with us and they were gonna bake their bread too. Nice. You know, in exchange for having our space, they would bake us some bread. That did not save us money. In fact, that should have made it more expensive. Yeah, that,
0: soo- that sounds honestly counterintuitive <laughs> for some know. way, yeah.
1: I know, man. Oh. Anyways, uh, so yes, to answer your question, we made very expensive, very, very fancy uh, lunch and breakfast food.
0: I like that. Well, one day when <laughs> I can put on another show and I can do another rhyme beat... Uh, right. Event. I'm gonna try and uh, I don't know. Maybe we can get uh, a food truck or something out there, and we can uh, get a, a Mo collab sandwich. We can name it after you or something <laughs> in homage to the amazing sandwich times. Because here's the thing about expensive sandwiches: if you're paying money for an expensive sandwich, here's probably two things about it. A, it's probably gonna be a pretty big sandwich. I imagine it's gonna be pretty stuffed with yeah. food. And second, yeah. the food in that sandwich is going to be of amazing quality. So anyone out there who complains about like a 14 fifteen dollar sandwich, hey, you're buying local and you're helping out your community. So chill the fuck out. Like you can always get like a six dollar, a model's sandwich if you really want to budget. Like don't don't, but don't hate the game, yo. Like if you want to get something really good, you got to put a little bread down. And then the second thing is eat half of it. And then eat the other half later. So it's like two different meals. Like just quit quick, quick complaining about shit that's a good thing. But anyway, um I digress. When did you station but back you know in the-
1: what you know what, son? Yeah. Hold on. You know why models Could sell $6 sandwiches They got like 15 stores Yes Yes, (laughs) If we bought more $15 sandwiches They wouldn't be $15 That's so true Like if we If we really bought local And we were able to Like really sustain ourselves Things wouldn't cost As much as they cost So true You know what I mean Like it would just so
0: uh, yeah, supply and demand. Yeah. You know. oh, do you think? Do
1: you like Italians? Do you like Italians? Do
0: yeah, like I mean, those Italians. I like all. I'm I'm very very uh, unbiased against sandwiches. Like, I I grew yeah, up, yeah. I grew up eating like a, you know, white bread oh, yeah, and Oscar yeah. Mayer bologna and American cheese and mayonnaise. Yes. Like, yes. I I did that yes. like at summer camp. But here's the deal: I'm gonna go and I could hit up you know a place and I could get like a. You know, I actually am trying to partner with the Artie Ting to get a sandwich going there. It's going through some hoops because it's a lot of, uh, shit you got to figure out. But, like, I could do, like, then, like, you know, pulled oxtail, a jerk mango chutney, some cabbage, some roasted tomatoes, and maybe, like, a little bit of melted, uh, cheese on top of that. Or I could even then go and do, like, I like a good, uh... like veggie sandwiches sometimes you do like beets shredded carrots maybe a couple other like uh, types of peppers some jalapenos put up maybe on like a banh mi for like the for that crunchy bread then do like a I don't know like a lemon garlic aioli with like a hot sauce in it like I I could go all over the place so I I love all sandwiches so I I could definitely eat like an Amato's Italian but I definitely kind of fuck with uh more local, like what um one on one of one, excuse me, sandwich places. Like or that's not even true. Like there's other like other side you deli. Tell me, tell me. I like other side deli. Oh, there's,
1: other side deli, dude, they bang.
0: Two different oh, so locations, good. but so oh. good. So get the vinegar peppers. Yeah. Always get the vinegar peppers. Yeah. Um, oh,
1: yo, listen, you want to know something insane? Tell me. So when I lived in Boston, I had this residency in this place called the Independent, and it was this I've heard of that. I think. Yeah. Bar. Yeah, it was in, it's it's like now it's popping. Like is it in it's Cambridge? Got a good reputation. It is in Cambridge. Yeah, I heard of that. Uh, no so shit. I played there once a week, and uh, the head chef was this guy Ryan, Ryan G, and he was dope. And uh, his sister Brenna is Peter's. The owner of Other Side Deli is Peter's sister. No way. So for years, I hung out with her and her husband in this bar in Somerville. I moved here and he and i meet and we're both like yo how do we know each other <laughs> and he's like yo did you do blah blah, blah? And i'm like yo is your sister and that was it yo we hooked up
0: wow. but like, the world is so small yo so small and again music music
1: music mm-hmm. it was because i was djing at this place that that she managed you know what i mean and she was dope but she was super awesome so i knew her brother was really dope too um but yeah this the the ridiculous connections there but uh, yes okay other side deli definitely love
0: those guys who else you like who else um, I fuck with uh, A&C Groceries Italian I really like that sandwich as le- as well um I'm a huge yardy yes. ting fan huge yardy ting anything yeah, so a I, huge yardy ting anything yeah. like they're actually this podcast is sponsored by yardy ting they're actually a sponsor of the podcast so i have a lot of that love is for dope yardy tingles
2: what's up shando what's up what's
0: up uh Shanda, oh, that's the og like if ever i'm feeling bad i got a coconut curry and a maybe a patty or four and yes. then uh <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then yes. i'm feeling good man um what else do i eat for sandwiches yeah, she around does here it right huh yeah, oh, ne- like never a bad meal, never a bad time. I got, I mean, and go donate to Yardy Ting if you can. They're trying to get another location going, yo, and it's tough. It's incredibly yeah, yeah. tough right now to do that. So help them Especially if you can.
1: Especially right now,
0: yeah. It'd be so
1: dope if we if we came out of this and and she had a new spot. Oh, we would all win.
0: Just, I'd just so we I'd, would all win. I'd be so happy, yo. You know? I, all right, I gotta end it. Let me think of one more. Cause I'm a huge fried chicken sandwich person too. And I'm trying to think of like Ooh. what's my go-to because well, uh, fit-
1: you know, have you had the have you had the fried chicken sandwich at Bayside Bowl?
0: I actually haven't. I had the chicken wings, but
1: that, the chicken wings are my favorite in the city. Those are my favorite.
0: Hell yeah! Um, the chicken sandwich is, is bananas there.
1: Oh man! Oh, yeah, right. So like, where do you like your chicken sandwiches? That's your
0: go-to. Yeah. Um, huge fan of um, this place called Kuno. It's I think it's like a Thai fusion restaurant. They just started popping Where off. Is that? I think they used to be a food truck, and now they might have a brick and mortar on oh, um, Cumberland. Yes, yes. Uh, they do I think so? At least it's Holy it's in the it's in the process. Um, I could be nice. tripping though. I liked. Um, I remember they
1: used to set up behind um, behind Goodfire.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, yes exactly. Yes, that yes. place so good yes
1: we did a bunch of parties with this food truck man that crew is dope
0: so good um did
1: a bunch of parties with them yes i didn't realize they opened the restaurant
0: that yeah that's, or at least like okay. they're on doordash so i have like i get doordash every now and then and they're okay. open until 11 most okay. nights so you want that you get high and you want a chicken what? sandwich <laughs> there you go oh my god um all, all right, right let me this think is, this is
1: you just changed my life
0: I'm just going to end it with that, yeah. I'm not going to force a Kuno. Kuno's chicken sandwich, I love a lot. But there's so many. I mean, I've had high rollers. I've had figgies. I've had A&C Groceries. I've had um, Royales. I've had... Um, oh, man, my brain can't think anymore. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I'm, I haven't eaten food yet, so I'm, I'm going to make some turkey burgers after this, so I'm too malnourished. Anyway, shout-out sandwiches. Shout-out the Portland sandwich scene. And shout-out uh, y'all tremendous sandwiches. Um... So my second question that I was gonna ask before we got into the uh, the beautiful sandwich symphony yes. was, um, what year did you permanently station here?
1: Oh, uh, um, such a
0: excuse me, sorry. No worries. <clears throat> Hopefully, we could edit out that disgusting burp. Oh, I, I didn't even hear um, the burp. I think you hit it.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> gosh, I this this for me is a little tricky because I have a bad memory of like exact dates but oh, don't i don't worry about think it that it was in 2009 i would have to ask my wife
0: but a good decade she at least it sounds like you know yeah
1: yeah let's see so 13 two years It's 11 yeah i'm gonna say 2009
0: i like it Yeah,
1: maybe 2008, maybe.
0: Yeah, but you've been out here, and then you're here before that, too, so you definitely have been, you know, almost like Mm -hmm. around two decades, it sounds like I've been a force out here in this uh, Portland art, and and Mm -hmm. I think food is art, so Portland art scene. I like that. Um, Awesome. And
1: even when I left, I was still coming back to DJ. Mm You know what I mean? So Mm. I was still coming back at least once a month to hang out and and throw parties. So I I that. never away for too long, you know?
0: Well, I want to talk about, um, or we did talk about the DJing, excuse me, and all the illustrious shit you've done out here and, and all across New York, New England, the U.S., but there's a really tremendous album that I like called 212 Pill, um, and you mm. dropped that album. Was that your first collection of production that you ever put out officially, or had you done anything prior to that?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, no, I, I have been sort of putting out stuff for a while. Mm. There's a bunch of white labels that I put out. Gotcha. Um, um, you know, stuff on other people's, like, guest, guesting on other people's stuff. Um, I mean, I mean I'm not, part of the problem is that I don't collect and keep stuff of, of myself you yep. know what i mean i don't have very many pictures i don't have projects and stuff like that i had put on an album way way before that I, I don't even remember either 2008 and 2009 and it was reviewed in the phoenix
0: that makes sense because you've been out here for a minute and that dropped before. like two years ago so yeah. I, I figured you had something before that but I, in my research it was hard yeah. for me to find it but um i imagine because the way your production sounds on that album and for those who don't know not only is mozart 212 a really talented dj and you know someone who puts on live sets they also are in my opinion a very talented producer who makes really dope beats too and um i like that album a lot and i was like fuck like this can't be the first thing this person's done from this round because i really like just the layers of sound on that album so um what made you want to start producing back in the day like do you remember like when you actually started to make you know loops and beats
1: yeah <laughs> um i had like been messing around with um you know like production and and i had gotten i was living in boston and i had gotten some i don't even like audacity or some shit like that like <laughs> or yeah whatever. i'm like messing around with it and kind of trying to figure it out, but I, I, it didn't click and it wasn't interesting. And at the same time, Serato just came out. Oh. And so that was, to me, it was like, that's where I was spending a lot of my time was focusing on like wrapping my brain around this, this um, idea of like these turntables are now enormous controllers. Right? Like yeah. They are now um, the, the way that we will do, you know, music at the club, at the bar.
2: Exactly. and
1: so um so i started spending a lot of time doing that and i started to do shows and and back then there was like this huge divide between like djs who were still using turntables and final and djs who were using serato and it sucked because people were like really shitty it was like this really big believe it or not it was like this big drama you know? It's beef. It's um, beef.
0: It's like analog versus digital in a way, right? Yeah,
1: it was. Yeah, it was. It was
0: stupid. <laughs> um, it was so dumb. And like, what
1: made it really dumb? It's like when you think about it. At the end of the day, like, unless you're using vinyl, vinyl, and that's all you're doing, and all that stuff, you know, like whether you're using Serato or CDJs or anything. Once you introduce digital, you're digital. Period. You're digital. If you're analog. That's great. and and i'm hoping that what you're doing is something that like i can't do or the best dj in the world can't do on 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 digital Mm. otherwise you're just a fucking snob you know what i mean (laughs) and shout out to the dope ass vinyl djs dj coco you know jazzy jeff scratch Mm. bastard these guys are like actually when they throw down on vinyl you're seeing shit that i can't do with 20 computers and another two DJs. That's a good <laughs> These point. These guys are, right, they're, they're there, right? They're doing that. Um, so I'm, I'm throwing parties and I get this residency in this place called the Enormous Room um, in Boston and it's dope. It's, you know, Questlove, you know, plays there a couple times. Ali Shaheed Muhammad has a night there. From Tribe? Um, yep, yep. Wow. Uh, 7L. Seven, oh,
0: 7 L is so underappreciated. Starface, I love you, know, you just said his Seven man.
1: L, big shout out to the homies. That's so a shout out. Um, those guys are coming through, you know. And again, <clears throat> I'm I'm doing that thing where I just showed up. I'm trying to like carve my space out. I'm working my way up. I'm trying to like figure out who these dudes are. I'm trying to get them to figure out who I am. Mm. Um, and and you know, all the while I'm asking for advice. <clears throat> I'm asking for like, you know, how to how to do, you know, how to, <clears throat> what's happening? Like, what, what are you doing that's leading to all this success for you? Um, I like that. And, and back in the days, there used to be, like, an actual DJ rotation. You know, re- Portland doesn't operate <clears throat> on this scale because Portland doesn't have actual, like, DJ clubs and DJ bars. And that's true, Stuff yeah. like other cities will have, right? But when you get into that rotation, what happens is you get, you get picked up and you start off on Wednesday or Tuesday because nobody fucking goes there exactly flask is the closest we have to this you know flask operates under the same idea but basically
0: what you're trying to do is work your way up to saturday get the weekend spot right yes you
1: want to get the weekend then you don't just want the weekend spot you want to get saturday anytime after 10 right late night and and that's what you want right and so you have to work your way up you have to bring people to your night no matter what the night is so that you can keep moving on the calendar Mm. so i start off on tuesdays within a couple months i'm on wednesdays and then i land on thursdays and i'm with my man you know my brother you know mantis damien mantis sounds rest in peace Mm. and um we're like yo fuck it like let's not move let's make thursday this thing let's make thursday a thing like let's make hanging out on thursday like a real thing that people do
0: i like the Um, pre-weekend
1: like let's blow it up blow it up and like turn it into a lounge because you know what the reason that people don't want to come out on Thursday is because they're like I don't want to get fucked up and crazy because I want to like hang out on Friday and Saturday Yeah. so we were like what if you don't have to do that what if you can come out on Thursday and like kick it hang out get your drink on but you can still go to work tomorrow yeah you have a good time but you know what I mean you have a glass of water before you
0: go to bed and you're okay still
1: so so we started to like really 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 invest in this party um called LaModa Mixtapes that was the name of it Mixtapes LaModa and um and uh, you know it, it progressed um, into uptown sounds. That became the night, and then um, that then that blew up. And we did that for for a while. Um, and we tried to you know sort of get it bigger. And so I had this conversation one night with um, with with Seven L, and uh, and it was his night. He was DJ. I think it was like a Friday night. Oh, shit. And. Uh, and my boy Druk was there. He who had introduced me. Shout out to to, to Druk, is a real legend in the Boston hip hop scene. And um, he introduced me. You know, we're having car. And I was like, "What am I doing wrong?" He's like, "Yo, you gotta start making your own shit. Period." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Beats, beats, loops. Just start throwing stuff into the mix. People will notice. They'll know when it departs and it becomes your thing." But that's it,
0: that's Seven L told you that.
1: And uh. I- yeah and i was like oh shit okay so i started to check with other people you know other djs um in the scene you know um shout out to Amadeezy. you know what i mean like a bunch of those guys started to like and again you know it's really funny because i'm coming up i'm i'm riding coattails i'm trying to carve my own spot yeah um you know and so like i'm sure that if you asked you know like you know them like oh do you remember (laughs) giving this advice you know fucking probably not like they probably talked to a million other DJs on Friday night at their residency who are hanging around them (laughs) you know what I mean that's DJ culture right for sure for sure hang out and watch each other so yeah so he said that and it changed everything I went home and I was like all right. so I started to make remixes and um, I started to like learn how to blend acapellas but but I decided, like, instead of blending acapellas, I can just do long rides, I can do long mixes, Mm -hmm. um, and get in and out of songs, you know, that were, um, that still had their beat, backbeat behind them. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So, um, you know, taking hip-hop records and mixing them with, like, electronic records, and then kind of going back and forth between genres like that, basically. Um, and then, and, and, but, you know putting them in the mix and that was the whole key and he was right even, like that was it he was absolutely right the second i started doing that everything changed wow it's so crazy to even think about it the other piece that i remember was the manager there um was a woman who started to manage us you know she she stepped up and was doing managing for us for for lamoda me and damien um and helping us you know sort of learn how to like book and do all those things and she was like called a meeting to of all the the resident djs at this spot yeah and she was like all right so i know you guys don't want to do this and i know you're all like fucking too good for this but i need you all to get facebook <laughs> we were like face nah fuck that i don't
0: want to get I mean, social media
1: yeah, we're like, this is bullshit. This is never gonna. Fuck. What is? That's not even a thing, man. Like, that's just trendy bullshit. That nobody, no. And she was like, "All right, great. I don't care. I'm. I need you guys to get Facebook. Period. That's that's the expectation, and that's what we're gonna do, and that's what you're gonna do, and you know. So, what was really crazy was that Annie was right. She was totally right. Like we, we all signed up for Facebook, but I, I immediately noticed the difference in like the connections I was making, you know, I was able to invite people to this new platform. Um, it, it was, it was perfect. It, it totally changed those two pieces of advice basically changed everything I was doing. You know what I mean? And kind of put me on a whole different trajectory where, um, that idea of like throwing these chill parties and like really you know these vibey events finally like became a thing like i was finally able to find a groove
0: that's um, that's like yeah. cutting edge again because what what year was this like i know you don't have to like probably get the exact one because time can be tough to fucking remember but what is it like probably between 2005 and 2010 i'm imagining
1: yeah i was in like 2006 2007 yeah that's I put out this early remix um yeah i put out a remix um it was the creator by pete rock and seal smooth uh, mixed with um wildcat by Ratatat.
2: oh no shit and
1: that shit went bananas that was dope that was dope because it was like really dope to go to these spots in boston and hear your shit banging loud loud you know what i mean and like then that and, and like they were right like people who were like "Yo, start making your own shit start carving out your own lane in this way like it wasn't enough to be a dope dj it wasn't enough to have dope records it wasn't enough to like have a unique concept for the night like people still want to see like as much originality as possible Damn. and so um yeah so i I i, I remember putting that out that popped huge I put out a couple of Biggie remixes that got that really got a lot of run um, and like I said you know I don't really I've never been one to like keep track of these things or dwell on any of that stuff Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know um, I probably won't listen to this after you and I finish talking oh you should it's that's been how, a tremendous that's interview de- that's how detached well that's how detached I am and I try to
0: stay from from all this stuff hey I respect that so I think I you know i
1: um you know and so i don't pay attention to like reviews and that kind of stuff and so there was a lot of stuff i was putting out that i would just put it out and just forget about it Mm -hmm. just move on to the next thing um
0: yeah but that's really like pretty beautiful story in a way of you just getting you know told like hey try this out yo like I think you should do this And 7L For those who don't know it, home Has been a legend In the Boston area and the North Shore um, area yeah. Like the whole New England hip hop scene um, For yeah. for decades Like he It just yeah, Like man. Zarface Isn't is new Yeah And God yeah, Complex to too
1: Esoteric man
0: One of the yeah, nasties I mean, too Like Esoteric
1: Spent They had a night Son They had a night man At this place The enormous room Bad It was fucking Bonkers Like
0: talking on it What was it this was night
1: freestyle on the mic They would like play records from like, you know, Boston tape days. You know, like Boston had this huge underground scene. Um, I mean, it was 7L and Esoteric, man. Like it was dope, it was dope. It was always like fun, always, you know, just happy. Just like this really great vibe. And their record, like not like their knowledge of records was just insane, so Mm. deep, so deep, like really dope to be able to like hang out with them and and like pick up you know again pick up lessons about like what we're supposed to be doing as djs yeah you
0: know yeah have you been to the vinyl index or did you ever get to go before it, like it closed down or i don't even actually might still be still open Where? i don't know uh vinyl index it's seven l's uh record shop in i think cambridge or, or somerville
1: oh my god no
0: it's no. dope i went That's there funny. once and uh this i forget the homie's name it was someone we could dope who's another artist in boston who, area who um, was there, but they got a really cool uh, spot, like, there's this young Boston rapper, I copped the vinyl from him there and it's just like, oh man, shout out Vinyl Index, yo Um, Damn, you got really cool stories man, you got like early 2000s Portland stories, you got 9-11 stories, which I did not see coming and then you have uh, like wild (laughs) New England hip hop Boston stories so, you're a wealth of information uh, my friend Um, it's been a pretty tremendous interview here about almost at the minute a minute excuse me hour 26 minute mark I got a couple um fun questions called the rapid fire segment if you wanna hit those pretty soon and then kind of conclude with some final bullet points if you're down my friend sure Sweet, sweet um but yeah just again thank you um for all these stories because I love interviewing um just different people in the artist community of different eras of different mediums of different backgrounds um and i'm always amazed by the new just information on life the new knowledge and just the stories i hear so i've been having a good time and just again uh it's all about giving people their flowers i guess so again here's a little bouquet for you but let's get into the um rapid oh actually one thing i wanted to shout out to um i could be incorrect but i think you also um work um with black girl in maine um that's a really dope publication yep. that I respect and um, actually like, support their yep. Patreon so I just wanted to give a quick like you know five seconds to be like yo like shout out black girl and man again we need um, all voices to be allowed to be heard in an area and you know people often don't give different voices that are not from like the general like dominant status quo in the area um, a chance often and that's fucking stupid so I love to see um, people using journalism and free speech and um, their voice so shout out black girl and man and shout out and respect you for working for um, that organization as well. All right. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. I love writing for for her. I love writing for that publication. Um, I love writing. So there's that. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able helps. to do it and and get 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 it out to people. You know, I have people like Shay who you know help and kind of put it in the in, in front of people. Yeah. So yeah, big shout out.
0: Respect. Respect. Um, tremendous. Well, let's uh let's let's hit these. These rapid-fire questions, my friend, uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, first one. What's your favorite time of day to spin a set, go live? Oh, damn.
1: That's a great question. Damn. Is it for me or for other people?
0: i say for you, the way you feel.
1: Okay, if it's for me... I would want to do it right after work, like like anytime between six and ten.
0: Hmm, I like that.
1: That's when I would want to do it. It's a yeah. good time period to Get create. My demons out. <laughs> Get you my gotta
0: balance out. the day, so to speak. Um, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Oh,
1: um. Breakfast. Lunch. A toss-up between lunch and dinner it's really <laughs> really close i would say dinner here in portland because lunch the lunch game here is not as strong as the dinner game
0: here that's true i would agree I think, lunch is I still I good don't get with me the wrong
1: exception lunch is super good but with the exception i know we keep harping on it and i know it's a sponsor and this isn't we didn't plan this y'all but with the exception of like Yardy Tin
0: and,
1: and gosh, maybe Salvage, there are, I, I can't really like lunch is good, but there isn't any lunch place that I'm like, yo, I got to go there for lunch today.
0: Oh, like, yeah. Nice. I like going to Miami for lunch.
1: You know? Yep. Yep. That's another. Wow. Yes. That's a dope spot for lunch.
0: That's another one. But when I it comes it to about.
1: dinner here in this town, like I get crazy
0: excited for dinner. Game over. It's, it's, it's different dinner in Portland when everything's open. Like, you remember how lucky we were with just like walking around, like in a sh- t-shirt and shorts and it's really nice out and no one's like worrying about a pandemic and you could hit like six different food spots if you wanted to in one night, just to say hi. Maybe you get a drink, yes, but um, like, Hells yeah. that's, that's, Hells yeah. you we almost flew yeah. too close to the sun here. Like, we had it too good. We had to get humbled. <laughs> no, not really, but yeah. that's, that's what I'm telling myself to feel better. Um, oh, shit. Back to the rapid fire. Um, Jam Master J or Grandmaster Flash?
1: Oh, man. Good one. I would say Grandmaster Flash just because, like, he was on so many of the mixtapes. Like, Jay was Run-DMC. Like, they, they, to my knowledge, I didn't come across any J mixtapes but i definitely
0: had grandmaster flash mixtapes that's that true you would record that's very true and and send out so
1: he he definitely for me was somebody who put me on to more records than jam master J did so respect that's what i would say
0: who's a producer whose beats blow your mind
1: um there's three and I'm a little embarrassed to say like they're all sort of well they're all on Brain Feeder the same label and they all came out around the same time so hey, I mean, whatever a bit weird but I think it also coincided with me at this point really being heavy into producing and really trying to figure out what I wanted shit to sound like Yeah, yeah. so I would say that like the first time I heard Flying Lotus the first time I heard Daedalus um first time I heard No Such Thing. Uh, With a J, right? Those three things. Yeah. I think for me, the first time I heard Flying Lotus and Daedalus, my first, first, first reaction was like, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> this is really annoying. Um, but then people loved it. People loved it. People like were crazy about it. Especially my producing friends. And so, you know, I I went back and I was like, this, this is... Um, if people like this I'm the one that's not understanding what's happened. you know I, re- I respect that and um, and I just I spent a lot of time with it and trying to figure out like what is it that people like about this and, and also training myself to hear it you know they're both super duper technical incredible music writers they write music that they perform in an electronic medium, yeah. But they're but they're leaning on classical signatures. I 100 leaning agree. on like really odd tempos. They're leaning on like really bizarre um, interpretations of like what is noise versus what is sound. And that which just was it's like every time a new Radiohead album comes out, you're like, This is bullshit, and then like two weeks later, you're like, This is the greatest album ever. Yeah,
0: yup. because like
1: Tom York is like just messing with your sense of like what is a rhythm,
0: you have it's to like, learn, you have to like adjust to it,
1: you know. And um, uh, you know, though, uh, uh, listening to them non stop when they first came out was huge, just trying to figure out like for Flying Lotus, like. How did he do that sound where, like, there's a drum and it's like, dip, 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 dip. you know, like there's these, like, loud noises in between spaces yep. that he's using? He's using those spaces and those, like, gaps that tape part to, like, fill in a syncopated ghost beat. And he's doing all this bizarro shit. So I just, like, became obsessive with trying to figure out how. Like, how did he do that? what what program did he use what <laughs> settings are they what what um how how like is that analog is that digital is that a sample and then with Daedalus it was his <clears throat> sense of timing that really I just yes. like how is this guy like doing all this stuff and I you know I met my wife 12 years ago and I she's trained in classical music um She's a she plays wind instruments um, and she's a music historian an art historian and one of the things about oh, art really? historians is really really interesting is um, you have to learn a lot about music classical music in particular because classical art is intrinsically tied to classical music, they, they often go hand in hand mm. and so you have to learn a lot about classical music so she taught me, I would play her Daedalus and we'd sit there and she would walk me through what he was doing. You know, she would say, like, all right, so here's the first thing. You have to stop thinking that there's going to be this four on the floor thing. Like it's not gonna happen. Mm. In fact, you know, these other rhythms that you're waiting for to happen, like where you're anticipating, they're they're also not gonna happen because you don't listen to enough classical music. If you think about what he's doing, it's gonna happen here. It's gonna happen here. It's gonna and she so she really helped me understand like different signatures of of time you know Mm. um beyond of course salsa cumbia afro rhythms you know I I was familiar with all that tremendous but, but but the classical world just opened up a lot of ideas about like what is and isn't a piece what isn't you know when's the beginning when's the end so those two dudes and then no such thing like just just beautiful beautiful performer like one of my most favorite performers he's just smooth his beats are super fun he's um really clean it's like the polar opposite of these two other guys (laughs) so that was really really fascinating to me that this guy was just making these really hip-hoppy uh electronic-y beats but they were like in the 90s they were like they're 90s, smooth and softer Six bpm yeah like the bpms weren't up there he wasn't doing like what we normally associate with this palette of sounds yeah. he wasn't doing 127 he did 120,
0: aquarium right that's what that's his joint
1: yes god yes man he did that man he did
0: that's yeah of <laughs> oh man that's the man on the moon beat for all my kid Cudi fans too. Like he's yes, he's is. he's so He did a bunch of stuff with so Kid Cuts Bananas. Yeah. You know? He's so good. Um, so good.
1: He's so good. And he was again, he spoke to my heart because he was like, you can have this electronic palette and still stay in 93 94 95 territory. Yes. Your BPMs can still stay chill. You can still drop a track at 90 BPMs that's going to work with the rest of your hip hop set and your funk set. You know what i mean that Mm -hmm. can still stay chill but still have this like edgy sharp corners to it you know so that shit was like again this is a person i sat down and i just listened to non-stop
2: i love that
1: and that's usually what i do you know i got my notebook i I, you know i take notes I, i try to draw out the sequences that they're using i try to find the patterns like every time this happens this happens in this kind of production um research you know
2: yeah yeah
1: Um, so I would say that those producers really were huge and then by the time I got into performing I was really drawn to like um like the guys who really had like a real rough and tumble presentation that wasn't linear that was loud and quiet that was like abrasive but then chill like Ross
0: G oh rest in peace to Ross G holy shit
1: yeah you know, like, it's funny because, like, Diviasi. If there was a spectrum to me, Diviasi is way to the <laughs> end of the spectrum where it's a little too chaotic for me, mm. right? The mm. presentation's a little too chaotic.
0: His drums are and on the
1: other end of the spectrum, you know, 404 world. You have someone like Teebs who's just really mellow and like,
0: I just got into them, they're you know, incredible. thing
1: is a thing. Oh man, Teebs is bananas too, so good, but yeah, so, Very so when lush. it comes to performing that's i started to listen to a lot of like mad Live, um the Go, um uh Teeps, g and i wasn't listening to them as producers i was listening to them as like the way that they would arrange their live sets the way that they would arrange pres- okay. presentations and mixes okay with a lot of like verbal interludes a lot of stops a lot of like echo outs a lot of dub uh, Especially, I grew up as a metalhead. A lot of like crazy songs from rock and roll, from hair metal, from from like hard disco. You know, you listen to like a lot of Madlib, and he's got like tapes where the intros to every song is some bullshit weirdo rock and roll. Song, he's got everything. You know what I mean? Every yeah. genre
0: is Madlib's like, catalog. Little
1: known like psych rock from the seventies <laughs> kind of shit. <laughs> um, so listening to to them really sort of empowered me to like when i do dj sets when i do actual dj sets to just be as chaotic because i want to be within a, a, a framework of chill mm. um Love so it. for performance those guys and for production the, the other guys
0: favorite place you've ever dj
1: oh wow holy shit um
0: Rhyme me? It could even be like one place too. Or like doesn't have yeah, to be the exact. I, I
1: would say I had a layover in Amsterdam. A couple,
0: <laughs> oh boy! Like
1: a bunch of years ago, um, and it was like I had the chance to have a layover, and then I was given the opportunity to do like one of those like you can stay an extra day if you let somebody get on the plane, shit, standby stuff. Okay. And I did. And I had these insane forty-eight hours um, in Amsterdam, but at one point we ended up at this like private club. Yeah, I want
0: to hear about some of these forty-eight hours. And
1: these dudes that I, these dudes that I were with, you know, it didn't take long for me to figure out like they were like hardcore, awesome, just gangster motherfuckers, man. These dudes were so dope. They were like these black Dutch dudes. They had a bunch, it was a black Dutch gang. And um, they had a bunch of French dudes who were also like down with them too, who were in town for
0: a whole bunch of vibes.
1: But yeah, but we went to this place, man. And like we walked in, and there was like a pool table and a DJ. And the owner comes out and he like tells everybody to leave, you know, to go to another part of the bar, the club. And then he tells the DJ, like, this is a DJ. Get out of here. And the DJ leaves. And I, like, you know, just ended up playing a bunch of (laughs) records while these guys, like, played pool and, like, talked about murdering this other dude who snitched on them.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Um, I remember this. I remember this. Because, like, at one point, they got into a fight because one of the guys was like, we don't even know this guy. You know, in, like, really bad broken English. He was like, we don't even know him. And, like, talking to the guy who brought me along... (laughs) Um, who i met at my hotel by the way because i needed some weed i didn't know what to Man. do i would never been to amsterdam and he worked there he was a caterer and he was getting off and he was like "Yo, you want to come with me when i get off of work i was like yeah whatever so they're yelling at him he's like he doesn't even understand what we're saying and you know you grow up with with street dudes like you understand like what people are talking about you and if you don't understand what they're saying you know what I mean? And like as we were you. driving home. Reading the body like later that night, Yeah, later that night, around four or five in the morning, we like hit up this kebab spot and we like ate like motherfuckers. And we're driving. They're driving me back to my hotel. And the guy's telling me, he's like, I mean, did you understand what we were talking about? I was like, I think so. I think like you're talking about this snitch who like wronged you guys. And I think you guys are going to try to get him. He's like, yeah. But you're like not gonna say anything, right? And it was this moment where I was like, "Oh, that's not a question. That's a threat." Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm leaving. I, you will never see me ever, ever, ever." I don't know what you're talking so you about. Drop me off at this hotel. I'm gonna pass out. I'm gonna try to not miss my flight, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, that was probably one of the coolest DJ things that's ever happened um, to me.
0: Wow. Well, again, did not expect to hear about an Amsterdam. Possible gang story um, that may or may not involve with witness intimidation at the end. So, um, another another, tre- another tremendous turn in this uh, in this tale, man. <laughs> um, let's get back to the home state. Let's fly back to the to the two hundred seven here. What's your favorite part about living in Maine, yo?
1: Oh, I think my favorite part about living in Maine is the art scene and the way that the art scene is is really communal. It's not it's not too big it's not too flashy it's not f- pretentious and full of itself I really love that
0: that's a great it's, really,
1: it's beautiful it's beautiful and the art scene here is really a, such a huge it's a backbone of the of the city and I love that
0: I wholeheartedly agree what would your dream concert be
1: oh um, Stevie Wonder oh. it would be Stevie Wonder and it, if it, if it was the same night it, I would lose my mind if it was Stevie Wonder and then Radiohead or Radiohead and then Stevie Wonder
0: that would be mind blowing one
1: but both those they're a tie for me
0: that's a good answer you killed your uh, I think you did the opening set to Kenya Hall's latest that was one of the last shows I saw actually yeah her, her celebration oh
1: man yeah See I get into that stuff. You know, when I do that kind of stuff, that's 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 that research I'm talking about. I spent four months finding two things. Any track that Stevie Wonder produced and all the tracks that Stevie Wonder made that weren't like top hits. Mm. That was my goal was to present a bunch of Stevie Wonder shit, a bunch of like stuff he wrote, and then take those two things and mix them with songs in hip hop that use Stevie Wonder samples
0: there's a lot of it too
1: so yeah so that whole set was either Stevie Wonder interviews laid over Stevie Wonder beats Stevie Wonder production laid over hip hop beats that sample Stevie Wonder or Stevie Wonder Stevie Wonder rare cuts that was the whole two hour set
0: was that a good ass set too yo shout out Kenya Hall too another dope artist out here yeah
1: hell yeah hell yeah Um,
0: what's the last dope movie you saw
1: good question because I just just thinking about this Um, I don't know you know what's weird man I, I would have been able to answer this so easily before quarantine
2: <laughs> now
1: all we do is watch fucking movies like they're on in the background yeah so it's like movies all the time like we're half paying attention um shit uh,
2: no worries yeah, no worries
1: oh you know what you know what sticks out um, Bright? Did you see that Will Smith? Um, like a Will Smith? I don't know if it's Amazon or Netflix. No, I've, I
2: think, I, think I have heard of that. He's yeah. He's got
1: like this alien partner. That shit was dope. That was dope. Totally that, dope. that sticks out
0: for me right now. Love it. Who is an? Unless it's the last one. Who is a uh, an artist that every DJ should have in their catalog?
1: Oh wow. Um. Wow, that's good. Um, you know when you do big functions like uh, proms, weddings, you know,
0: big corporate events where you're hired to make people dance. Yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, well, there's a there's
1: like a go nuclear option that you try not to use, right? And okay. That, like, like you know, you try not to play Madonna, you try not to play Michael Jackson, you try not to play Stevie, Sir Duke. You know, get on up, yeah, uh, Marvin Gaye. Right? Like, do you save these? for when like the floor is dead and you really need to like bring people back
2: yep, you
1: save them so you know um i, I don't know that it's easy That's to a great answer like a artist i think that you need to have a set of artists that you kind of put in your back pocket and you're like at any given moment i can change the vibe in this place i can get people up i can get people down um if i drop this so i would say like always have some stevie always have some madonna um, always have some Marvin Gaye you know. Truth. Um and they're timeless. I think Justin Timberlake is the same way. It's timeless shit that people just go crazy for. Um, anything that Missy and Timbaland did.
0: Oh my god. You can
1: play any of those oh my god. anytime. Um you could play I mean you could play scenario and that's always gonna hit like hard, hard, hard by tribe and yep. L O N S. You can do that. You can always play anything, Biggie, especially Biggie remixes. Man, people go. Bonkers.
0: Oh yeah, people love biggie like remixes. dance Biggie remixes.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I feel like you know what you want. What you want to have in your crate is like stuff that gets you in and out of like situations. You know, like if the vibe is dead, you want to have something in that you know. Like if I throw this on, shit is gonna change. You know, but you also want to have stuff to like slow the night down. You want to be able to like have stuff that is a complete departure from what you thought you were going to do when you got there, Mm. but can still stay in that groove. You know what I mean? 100%. But you can't go wrong. Like that's why you can't go wrong with like, like I said, you can't go wrong with Stevie, Madonna, and Marvin. Like those three are going to always like do it. And if you have Motown, forget about it. You're like, you're covered. You know?
0: Good answers, um, yo. Yeah. Definite, definite um, stars in that bunch, yo. Like you always, I'm, I can always dance to Stevie and Marvin, and definitely actually, like I, I just you said, Madonna and Holiday started playing in my head, so I can definitely. Oh <laughs> my God! Right? Some exactly. Some songs that just like get stuck in my brain. I'm like, I can't like. Sometimes I'm yeah. a big fan of pop music. There's some really fucking good pop music out there. I so just get stuck in my fun. head.
1: So much fun. Yeah.
0: So true, yo. Um, Those
1: tracks are so fun.
0: Alrighty. <laughs> that was the last rapid fire question you survived Mozart 1-2 right. let's uh let's kind of hit this you. last uh, slope of uh just some kind of end questions here I want to see if um, okay. do you even have uh an opinion on this one but do you have a favorite between producing your own material or even kind of making you know flips and things like that or um DJing live is like is there a favorite of the two
1: hmm um yeah I, I would always pick
0: DJing live I like that Um, why do you think I like um,
1: I like being it goes back to like what I said about why I got into I like being around people but not necessarily being like in the middle of shit I love that I like I like I like feeding off their energy I love helping people I love setting a vibe I love Mm. you know I love introducing people to like new music like that's just I love that you know, putting on something that like people go, What the hell is that? is like one of my favorite questions on earth. Uh-huh. Whether they hate it or love it. Both both to me are awesome. If you hear something and you're just so moved to be like, Can you fucking turn that off? Like, that's a big deal to me. You know
0: what I mean? Like <laughs> like I So an I, I like I like doing that. You know, I like I like
1: being the one to sort of put those things together for
0: people. I fuck so with I that. would always pick DJ. Great answer, yo. Um, And I can't wait to hopefully sometime in the somewhat nearish, not not-too-dystopian future get to be dancing at a function and having uh, you spinning, man, because it's always a good time. Um, Speaking of kind of uh, the climate right now, 2020, yo, it's obviously been a shit show. But I'd like to focus on maybe like hopefully a small positive thing and the question of what has been keeping you grounded or like sane or like kind of just going through the days and even like if it's just a positive small moment that hopefully are maybe a couple things
1: um i mean i think the biggest thing is my wife for mm. sure um she's great she is an artist she's an educator um you know she's an activist in her own way um mm. uh, but more importantly you know she's like really a perceptive person mm. and so she's able to really help me get out of my own way sometimes <laughs> and I help know that. Me, Um, kind of see when things are like kind of you know taking a turn for the worse, she can look a couple of days ahead and be like hey have you noticed that you've been doing blah 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 more lately you know what i mean and you know yeah. I, have, I have pretty significant you you mentioned you know anxiety earlier yeah you know i I, wa- I wanted to mention you know this is something i don't talk about all the time but I do try to talk about it because I want to. I want to normalize it. But, Respect. You know, I, I have I have bipolar disorder, mm. and um, and it's great to have somebody who can be there with you, helping you sort of see, you know, the things that you miss sometimes. You know what I mean? Like having somebody say to you, like, "Hey, have you noticed that you've been like really edgy lately?" Or mm. you know, have you noticed that you've that you haven't like showered in three days mm. because you don't notice, honestly. Like, no yeah, shit. Yeah. Sounds nuts that you wouldn't notice something like that. But, you know, you kind of lose track of some things when you're going through it, you know, and you're trying to not become depressed. You know what I mean? When that's your goal, I know 100% not get super depressed, then, you know, your standards
0: for other shit go down. That's true. You know, because your main goal is to, like, stay up and stay,
1: you know, focused on not getting depressed. Yeah. You
0: know? Well, respect. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about so, that.
1: So I would say that, you know, my wife is definitely the biggest thing here. And then, of course, music, honestly, just music, 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 um, and cooking a lot. You know, we've been cooking a lot. I love always it. always cooked. Um, so, yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. Yeah, food, family, and uh, music definitely have been a lot of my cornerstones of uh Daily moments of sanity and, and happiness So I respect to that And thanks for talking about your uh, situation too, man I mean, like, I, I have anxiety and uh, depressions And um, I think it's like a whole bunch of, like, you know Shit that I have to balance in my own brain And I think it's something that I definitely try and talk about Because even if it's something you only experience in periods of your time in life I think everyone goes through shit internally I might experience it almost every week or day But, um... Yeah. it's just a part of life for a lot of people and you know I think we're unified in strength when we talk about our vulnerabilities. so shout out that um,
1: right for real yeah. See, people need to hear it too man. Like, yeah. the biggest thing to keep in mind is that like there's always somebody who thinks you're awesome and oh,
0: that's a great quote
1: you know for them for them to know that like you are also human you are also going through some stuff that's that's huge that's huge oh, that's yeah. huge you know that's huge for them and who the hell are you to like feel like you know
0: that that I don't know it, it just feels like don't forget that there's always somebody who who thinks you're fucking great that's a, that's a beautiful you know it's mean? a beautiful phrase you know I, I really respect that yeah um and then shout-out music as well for always keeping it going. Um, and there's one part of, like, the music scene in Portland that I love a lot that I, I miss a lot. It, it was at Suntiki, and it's something that you, like, got to do yeah. some sets at early, and that was resample. I just yeah. wanted to shout-out them real quick and just ask them briefly. How did you, like, get put onto them? Because you, you were one of, like, the first, I think, more, like, kind of established, like, if I can say, like, OGs in the area to I see do a set there. And, like, I'm like, damn, like, you tapped into, like, up-and-coming shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, we... I had worked with them from, I would say the beginning, you know, really, uh, Julian and I definitely got into that really
0: early. Yeah, French definitely we did. knew
1: We knew that there was something special there. Um, so we would have meetings. We'd get together and we'd plan like shows. Who, who can we get? Who can we ask? Who can we email? Mm-hmm. What do we need to know? At the time, like they, they weren't selling alcohol. So we had to figure out like, you know, how do we provide a party atmosphere? Like, you know. We had um, David's installations, Fiverr's installations. Like, how are we going to lay those out in a way that makes sense to people but still be, like can be uh, not overwhelming and welcome? So we did a lot of planning. And, um, and then it took off, you know, and those guys really, you know, did a good job, um, you know, curating it and kind of turning it into their own thing. You know what I mean? Mm. It's one of the things that... I'm not sure of and, and, and hope that when we return to normal, that that's still a thing. I uh, hope. You know, that that's still something that people want that Santiki can sustain. Yep. But, you know, I, I definitely, French and I were there on the ground floor. Um, Ian, the owner of Santiki, put a lot of trust in, in, in Fiverr. Um, Fiverr put a lot of trust in me, mm. you know um to kind of get this off the ground and um and i had you know like i've mentioned before i've worked at starting nights getting stuff going kind of troubleshooting and designing you know what's what's going to work for people what are people you know and so i was able to bring that to the table to a group of guys who are really open to receiving that information and working with it um it a, you know it's an awesome group of dudes and they it. you know they took it and they ran with it
0: for you real know? Well, I just love the fact and that they you were there for, early, For bro. a
1: while, they built something beautiful. Yeah, we had so much fun, dude. Oh, man, we had so much fun. Like, there <laughs> were nights that just wild shit would pop off, and, like, we had God, you know, Goddamn Chan at one point. Oh, my God. Uh, Alter G.
0: Alter Bright G, Boy, oh, my we God. Up,
1: we ended up having, like, a cypher right towards the end where we, like, took turns scratching and, 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 and Saeed singing and, like, you know, people are playing beats live. It was dope. I mean, there was a lot of nights like that that were really great. Um, so shout, shout out to you. those dudes. Shout out to that that period.
0: Shout out resample um, Fabio yo. Um, and shout out you for being yeah, there. Yeah. Shout out you, Heavy, for being there, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Damn, this is gonna be legendary. You might you might be the new. Uh, holder of longest Banny's crib interview My friend I think we're gonna Hit the oh, The record mark With Mozart okay. two, and two tonight I'm pretty pumped I haven't Spose had it Spose you
2: Some of that shit out
0: <laughs> Never Not Now not ever There's a beautiful Evan flow to the You know I call it a Symphony of organized confusion Um But yeah Spose had the longest one And you just beat it So shout out you yo It's been a 60 episodes coming. Ryan. Yeah yo Shout
1: out Spose
0: Um that's so dope. That, That's, I'm pumped, man. I want like, pong. I might have put, like, a fucking firework effect or something right here. But anyway, uh, we haven't got that yet. We're, like, a minute and a half away. But I just had three... Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I got three, like, kind of not business questions, but just, you know, like, where can people reach you, anything you want to plug kind of stuff. But um, okay. again, okay. just thank okay. you so much for the great depth of stories. I mean, I think people forget about how important oral history is and the primary sources that are people and that you can learn so much about cultures from people who have connections and are respected and have put their time in yep, and have their yep. stripes in specific cultures and I just feel like I've learned a lot today I mean like I said anything from 7L Boston club stories to you know um, growing up in the pretty much like you're. I think you're born the same year Cool Hurt did that first party right If you said it was 73? I think so so, so that's fucking no, cool. 77,
2: 77. Oh, 77.
0: seventy-seven. Sorry. Oh, Dave. I Dave Gutter was born in seventy-three. I think. He. I talked to him last week. But anyway. Um, Eternal Dave. Eternal Eter- Dave. Eter- <laughs> but anyway. Um, vampire Ben. Dude, he looked like I didn't I'm like what, bro. Like. Anyway. Um. Shout out you and your stories, Mozart two one two. We gave you your flowers while you can smell them. Hopefully they smell good. And uh, again, just it was great having you here on Benny's crib. And this podcast is sponsored you, by Yardy Ting. Um, Thank you. Oh, you in the kitchen? You got what you cooking up? What is it?
1: Oh no, I'm 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 just walking by. My wife,
0: we just um, got some pizza delivered from Oh, Otto's. pizza, <coughs> tremendous! Are oh, you saying models? They got good za, actually. Good respect.
1: Autos,
2: autos, Oh, autos! I was like, reason.
0: yeah, autos <laughs> is way better than a models. I like the models because it was like nine dollars for a, I think like a barbecue know, right? chicken, and I was like, I'm but I'm budgeting tonight, so this is dope. But if yeah. I if I could get pizza every night, bro, you know, autos is going to be in the in the rotation heavy. Um, all right, yo. Hell yeah. Um yeah. Let's get down to the last business questions here. Where can people reach you if there's like a, any like, kind of business inquiries or things of that nature?
1: Um, that's, so either on Facebook, um, and that's Mozart Nunez or Mozart Caswell, um, uh, C-A-S-W-E-L-L. Um, I'm pretty sure both of those still work. Dope. And email, Mozart212 at Gmail. I don't really, I struggle to maintain like a... Instagram, band campy, uh, website thing. I've, I've just never been good at it, never been diligent enough, disciplined enough to pull that off. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of stuff, word of mouth, um, connections, and you know, community vibe. So email me, man. That's, that's I'll send you shit. I post a lot of stuff online. I take it down a week later. You know what I mean? So I'm <laughs> constantly just kind of messing with stuff, randomly doing You know, live Sets, um, but yeah, just email me, hit me up on Facebook, you know.
0: Tremendous. Um, is there anything specifically you want to plug or just shout out?
1: Uh, I mean, no, not really. I mean, I'm gonna keep doing, you know, live sets, and uh, I got a couple of things that I'm working on now for when we return to performing. Um, some new ways of presenting the material um, I think in the meantime just uh, peep you know, Instagram, peep Facebook and see if you catch me doing a live set you know
0: Yeah, that's friggin tremendous because as I was going to say that live set you did tonight um, was dope and uh, we'll be sharing that link or you can I think probably check your IG for it too um, you're not going to want to miss it because yep. I heard yep. everything from like Most deaf to I think Mini Ripperton if I could be wrong maybe some Fortet yep. in there yep. too yep. so there was a lot of good shit yep you know? yep yep um, did all of that did all of that yep tremendous alrighty well we're here with the last question we've now officially hit the longest interview in Benny's group history um, this, is, this is absolutely tremendous my friend uh, here it is it's uh, kind of ambiguous so answer it how you'd like where will mozart 212 be one year from now
1: oh good question uh november 30th one year from now i'll still be in my house not because of covid um i'll still be in portland i'll probably it's monday i'll probably be somewhere for work i travel a lot for work Mm. so i'll probably be somewhere else Mm. um but I'll still be heading back to town and, and still getting ready for something to do on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night, or maybe Sunday afternoon. Mm. So that's that's definitely, like, getting... Short answer, I'm getting ready for, like, some sort of performance or gig <laughs> for this week.
0: Hell yeah. Maybe eating pizza, so. too, hopefully. Yeah. Dope, yo. All right, well, that's it for me, yo. It's been a tremendous interview here. Thank you for the all the, right, all the history you, and the uh, conversations. And yeah. um, make sure y'all go peep... Uh, the album, uh, it's two one two pill. Make sure y'all go peep the live sets and just uh, try and be a good person out here. Much love. Holy smokes! What a tremendous interview, Motar two one two. Thank you for coming through and breaking the record. This has been the longest episode of Betty's Script we've done yet. As always, shout out the sponsors. Big up Shyari Ting. Big Up's Fire on Four. Uh, shout out Beach Boys. Shout out Crows Nest and Shout out High Roller as well. And of course, go peep the 212 pill album by Mozart212. Make sure you can tap into their live sets whenever they're spinning. I think some of their live sets too are on his uh, Instagram page, but the feds might take those down for copyright bullshit allegedly. Honestly though, just remember one thing. You got your own flow to this life. You got your own vibration that you set forth. You got your own pattern that no one else has. Tap into that. And just do your best out here. Keep your head down and mind your business. Peace.